Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. of Harren Hall. My name's Simon. And I'm McKelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 150 of our chapter-by-chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today we'll be discussing chapter 6 of A Storm of Swords, that's Sansa 1. And as always for the 150th time, we're going to chat about the chapter and try not to spoil any future plot points for you. And hopefully we're going to provide you some entertainment along the way. We'll summarise what happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the television show, indulge in a little pedantry and cover some relevant news and listener correspondence. Be sure to check out the show notes. They'll be particularly handy if you're not reading along with us. How are you, McKelly? I am doing just fine. 150 episodes. I know. Congratulations. That's what? That's like 148 episodes you've produced. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you did a good job last week. You got you. You covered all the bases. (laughs) It was it's ropey when I'm doing it. It is ropey. I mean, I'm I'm imagining it sort of like what's what's the uh, Greek mythology where they fly to Icarus? Yeah, flies too close to the sun. The podcast when I produce it is like his wings. It's just <laughs> held together with wax and prayers. <laughs> well, it's much appreciated that you you handled it. You handled everything this past weekend because I was I was on the wagon train. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was leading my oxen on the wagon train from uh, taking moving Ethan in, and I will say the uh, the wagon train did arrive safely in oh, Charlotte, and um, yeah, we got them all moved in. It wasn't without uh, wasn't without mishaps, of course. We no. Stacy bought him a a bed frame. He took you know he went shopping in our house. And he he took the queen yes. uh, the queen mattress out of our spare room, but not the frame, just the queen mattress. So Stacy bought him a new bed frame off Amazon, and the package came to our house like a day or two before we left, and it was a bit beleaguered. the The box okay. itself was uh-huh. it had tape in places it wasn't supposed to have tape. I'm pretty sure, <laughs> like what one of my podcasts, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, didn't bother opening it because we were about to transport it. So what? Why right. would we do that? So we get it to his apartment, and I go into his bedroom to start setting it up. And that's kind of one of my one of my handier things is putting stuff together. I'm, I'm pretty uh-huh. crafty at that. <laughs> so I open the box, which uh, required much tape cutting, uh-huh. and it is a box of strewn things. There are, it, it wasn't, you know, back in the day, our bed frames were like two, two uh, side things and then two middle pieces that came across and they latched in. That yeah. was it. It took like yeah. 10 seconds to put together. But no, yeah. this, this is the kind that doesn't require a box spring. So it's got like, first of all, it's got like 30 slats and slats going in all different directions and different size slats. And so, uh, there's there's no no rhyme or reason. There's like little <laughs> screws just randomly thrown strewn about the box, and pieces going this way and that way. Some are in like the the um, foam 
covers and some are just not. Uh-huh. And but and all that is is disturbing and all, but the the thing that made it worse is there was no instruction manual. Oh dear. <laughs> so I'm staring oh at it with my hands on my head like what am I going to do? You know the the five piece metal frame. I need an instruction manual for that. <laughs> uh yeah, yeah. Uh so I sat there for a mi- for a while. Actually, we uh, we made an IKEA run. I was like if I find a bed frame in IKEA that I like better, we're buying that one. But, you know, we'd invested uh, a uh, not insignificant amount of money in this bed frame so i was like all right i'm gonna figure this out so i was like what how hard could it be i'm just gonna start put putting pieces together and see how it goes yeah so i do like a jigsaw where all the pieces are the same yes exactly (laughs) so i start jigsawing it together and i'm making progress i don't the, the biggest problem is there are a through f uh screws like the screws uh, yeah. Some of the no screws, idea which ones to yes, use. Yeah. and they're all labeled in these little packages that only have some of them because some are just strewn about. But some are in packages <laughs> labeled A, A through F, and I don't know which ones go where. So I'm just trying to use common sense. Like the long ones go through long halls, and you know, makes sense. And I get to the part where I don't know if I was building it in the right order or not, but I get the whole bed frame built, and the the headboard has six vertical slats. Okay. And I have six screws, all of different lengths. <laughs> and I was like, I got six screws, I got six slats. <laughs> making this work. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, yeah, either Ethan's bed was going to fall apart the minute he laid his little head down on it, or that thing is never moving. Is <laughs> actually screwed to the floor and the walls. Yes. Uh, so that was one mishap and the the other um noteworthy mishap is it was right before we were getting ready to leave we went to lunch at this place like right across the street from his apartment is this little diner i've been to charlotte like five times and i've eaten at that diner three times so okay um apparently it's the place to go and uh we're just sitting there it's uh you know ethan and stacy and stacy's mother and i and Across the little alleyway, you know, like across the on the other the booth on the other side there, just a few feet away, is is another couple, probably in their early sixties or so, and, and they just randomly strike up a conversation with us. They seem like those kind of people that just like just wide open. Kind of like like me. <laughs> just know. just talking to anybody, anybody that'll yeah. listen. <laughs> and so they just randomly strike up a conversation with us and they're telling us that they were there for the Garth Brooks concert and yada yada and their flight got canceled, so they had a day. And then their waitress comes over and looks at Stacy and Ethan and says, You two resemble each other a lot. What's your relation? And Stacy says, Oh, I'm his mother. And the lady at the booth starts going crazy about what oh my gosh we thought you were his sister you don't look much older than a teenager which you know my 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 beautiful youthful wife this happens to her regularly she she does not look old enough to have a 22 year old son so this is not out of the ordinary it's kind of the the usual reaction when she mentions that ethan is her son this part coming up I will say is not so usual. Is 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 unique. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she the the lady looks at Karen and I 
and says, those two are your parents. I know that for sure. To Stacy. <laughs> Insinuating that I am Stacy's father and my mother-in-law is my wife. <laughs> Simon is uh, speechless with his mouth hung open. I cannot believe that. Yeah, I mean, you and me both. <laughs> I, I'm not... I am not going to criticize your wife in any way, shape, or form, but you and her look contemporaries. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. You know? Well, yeah. You have a youthful look, too. Oh, I appreciate crazy. that. That is crazy. That... I mean, that's just, that's madness. That, that reminds me of the, the Brian Regan bit that we like, where he asks the lady if she's pregnant. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and halfway through, he realizes he shouldn't be saying it and gets louder. <laughs> When's that baby due? <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of how I felt. I kind of felt like Ouch. the not pregnant lady being asked if she's Ouch. pregnant. Uh, oh, I'm sorry that happened, McKelly. Oh, well. Well, I will say, uh, Karen, my mother-in-law, you know, that's quite the feather in her cap that she... <laughs> we are 21 <laughs> <Damn> years <laughs> age difference. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I tell you. All right. Oh, we, we did work together this week. It was very strange. We and, did. And what did you learn from What did you learn from working with me this week, McKelly? What always, was the most important lesson? Always listen to Simon. Is that the answer? Exactly. I was hoping that's what you were going to say. <laughs> Never trust anybody else. I know the true, true, and everybody else is wrong. Do you know how much effort Jillian and I went through to get to where we were for you to say, "Oh, you could have just asked me. I knew this information all along." <laughs> Well, you know what? I think you needed to go through that pain to remember the important lesson. Always if you just come to me side. straight away, you would perhaps be like, any idiot can do this. But no, <laughs> you come to me. You know, Jillian and I were talking about that the next day. And I was like, yeah, but the thing is, he ignores most of my messages because he assumes <laughs> podcast related. <laughs> ah, touche. <laughs> that is a problem. But... Honestly, I, I, I pay attention to Jillian, so just route sure. it through her. Yeah, yeah. Right, good plan. <laughs> All right, we've got to get down to business. How did we leave Sansa Stark? Last we saw of Sansa, she was being both terrorized by and asked to flee with Sandor Clegane in her chambers during the Battle of the Blackwater, expecting Stannis' army to storm the city, bringing with him rescue or more misery? Hard to know only to learn the next morning from Sodontus Hollard that the Lannisters had prevailed and she was basically back to square one. McKelly, why don't we give the summary of this one? You know, this summary is quite special, is it not? I, I, it's one of my favorite summaries ever. This summary was handcrafted from the mind of our Buy Me A Coffee Royal Kingsguard member, Genevieve. And, um... She said, she added a comment that said, it was really fun and she really enjoyed this chapter. She thought the pace of the chapter was excellent and she can't wait to hear it read out. So, well, there we go. Very excited. Thank you very much for this, Genevieve. We're excited yes. to, to read it. Absolutely. So, here we go. Marjorie Tyrell and gang has invited Sansa to dinner. Sansa's nervous. What could Marjorie's intentions be? Now that Marjorie is to be queen, what could she possibly want with Sansa? From her tower in Mago's Holdfast, Sansa remembers watching Marjorie and her escort arrive at the castle, where King Joffrey very graciously met his queen-to-be at the king's gate, and they entered the city to much fanfare. Sansa's annoyed. The small folk 
cheering on Joffrey's procession were the same people who tried to kill the royal procession during the riot of King's Landing, right after Marcella Baratheon was seen off on her ship headed to Dorne via all of the known world. (laughs) She remembers being pulled off her horse and would have died or worse if not for the hound. I like the fact that Genevieve is actually including jokes from the podcast <laughs> in the summary. <laughs> Sansa's perplexed. Why is Marjorie Tyrell so beloved by the small folk? Probably because Mace Tyrell brought a lot of food with him from the Reach. Sansa wonders if Joffrey is behind the invitation. Is this some kind of plot to further humiliate her? She thinks that only her Florian, the fool Sedontus, can save her now. Although until the night of Joffrey's wedding, he's not much use to her. Sansa flips back and forth on what Marjorie's intentions are. Good? Bad? Good? All Sansa knows, which she learned from Cersei, is to never trust anyone. And yet, she can't refuse. How could she, as a hostage? She wishes the Hound were here to take her away. But eventually, Sansa accepts the dinner invitation. The night of the dinner, Sir Loras Tyrell arrives to escort Sansa to Marjorie. On the way to the dinner, Soloris tells Sansa that Lady Olena, the matriarch of the family, will be there too. Sansa can hardly think, talk, and walk at the same time in the presence of the dashing Soloris. She calls Lady Olena the Queen of Thorns, and Soloris tells her not to say that to Lady Olena's face. They pass Sir Balan's swan on the way out of Mago's Holfast, and she does not think him to be half as cute as Soloris. In the practice yard, Sansa sees several knights and men practicing with swords and shields. She sees a red wine twin fighting Sir Talad, Sir Kenos of Casey with Sir Osney Kettleblack, and Sir Osred Kettleback with Morris Slint. Sir Garland Tyrell is fighting three men at once. Sansa tells Sir Loras that he is a great rider, having seen him ride in the hands tourney against the mountain uh, uh, along with several other men. She tells him that he gave her a red rose when he gave all the other ladies white roses. He does not remember. She is crushed. Sansa tries to tell him that he gave her the Red Rose after he unhorsed Sir Robar Royce. Loras then says that he had to kill that man at Storm's End when King Renly died. He's sad now and stops talking to Sansa. They walk to dinner in silence. They arrive at the Maiden Vault where Lord Mace Tyrell's entourage are housed. They're guarded by Eric with an E and Eric with an A, also known as Left and Right to... Elena Tyrell. Marjorie greets Sansa pleasantly. She's visibly happy that Sansa's here. Marjorie int- introduces Sansa to all the women at the dinner table. Now, Genevieve had them listed here, but we'll go through them in the discussion here after the summary. Yeah. Uh, Lady Elena is tiny but fierce. She brings up Sansa's grandparents, Lord Rickard Stark, dead, and Lord Hustertully, dying. Olena doesn't think King Renly was that great, and that Stannis had the better claim. She explains that the Tyrells got to their station because of ambition. Lord Mace Tyrell, a.k.a. Lord Puffish, as Olena dubs him, wants a grandson on the Iron Throne. Dinner starts, and the Tyrells' favourite fool, Butterbumps, is summoned as entertainment. Can I, can I mention, just in passing on that last sentence, that the first read-through... Um, I read fool as food. So it said dinner starts and the Tyrell's favourite food, butter bumps. I was like, what the heck is butter bumps? <laughs> I read this chapter, I don't remember them eating butter bumps. Sounds pretty good, though. <laughs> the food is brought out, Lady Elena orders cheese, and then drops the bomb on Sansa. Tell me the truth about Joffrey. Sansa freezes. 
She's afraid and doesn't know what to say. Lady Olena presses, but gets the hint that Sansa's terrified. She tells Butterbumps to sing The Bear and the Maiden Fair as loudly as he can. The walls have ears, and the loud singing can drown out their voices. Sansa reveals that Joffrey is, in fact, a monster. She immediately regrets it after seeing Lady Olena and Marjorie's reaction. She pleads with them to still go through with the wedding. Thankfully, nothing will change Lord Tyrell's mind. The wedding will go ahead. The ladies thank Sansa for her honesty. Thankfully for Sansa, anyway. <laughs> Marjorie asks if Sansa would like to visit Highgarden. The ladies intend for her to wed a Tyrell lad. A very excited Sansa thinks it's Loras they intend to wed her to. However, Lady Elena sets her straight. It's Willis Tyrell, the heir to Highgarden. He's disabled, courtesy of Oberyn Martell, and you're twice her age. They promise Sansa they'll take her to Highgarden once Marjorie is wed. The song stops, the cheese arrives, and the conversation dies. Yeah, so, um, great work, Genevieve. Thank you so much. It's nice to have a week off having to do that. Yes, it absolutely. Was, uh, it was really good. It barely needed any editing from us so thank you yes and she said it was a lot of fun which was the whole point when we came up with this uh idea to offer this option is uh get involved with the show you know she she really uh she said she really enjoyed it so and and the referencing the jokes is is really i mean that's 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 what we like to do you know (laughs) hark back to previous jokes yeah Uh, and it's a great chapter too she's she's right to pick this one it is a it's First and foremost, the introduction of Lady Olena, who is just a terrific character. I mean, you get it in this chapter how she is just how the Queen of Thorns is a great name for her because she's so prickly and right. sort of uh, and feisty. Yes, um, yeah, it is. It, following closely on the heels of Tyrion One, which is another really information-packed chapter, this chapter has so much going on in it. I'm afraid we won't cover. All the details, because there's just so many moving parts in this chapter, but we're going to do the best we can. <laughs> at, at some point, you need to read the book, really. I mean, you don't have to. I mean, we're here for you, but, you know, if you really want to enjoy everything of this, definitely read this one. Right. Um, but, yeah, she, like you said, Olena's great. I mean, she she speaks her mind so freely when nearly everyone else does the King's Landing doublespeak that frustrated Ned so much, but she just... Tells what's on her mind. At least in this situation, maybe she'd be a little bit. Uh, is this the first time that Marjorie's been? Is this her first appearance she, in the books? She was at Bitterbridge when Cat got there uh, with and met Renly, but she didn't uh, have she didn't have much of a role. Yeah, I think she yeah. might have said a sentence or two. Yeah, I, you get a little bit of her character. I mean, obviously she, she's sort of a background character, really, to the to the to Lady Elena. But she, you you can hear from her. Sort of like a sharpness. She's not. She's not a dummy, right? And she's also very fond of Elena. She, you know, but but also sort of like scolds her for some of her excesses as well. So she's. She, you get a little bit of uh, of Marjorie from this. And to think, I mean, I think she's only sixteen, right, Marjorie? So yeah, she's, yeah, I think you're right. She she's got a little bit of something, and in particular, to hear what she hears from Sansa in this, and to still be sort of like willing to go through with this shows us kind of like a calculating yes. maturity which um Sansa is a long way from I think jumping to the end of the chapter of course <laughs> right <laughs> so you know the chapter starts with Sansa watching the procession come in of Marjorie and Elena and, and uh, the rest of the 
um, Tyrell women and their handmaidens. Uh, and, you know, the, there's certainly some mixed feelings for Sansa. She's, she, on one hand, her hopeful salvation is arriving from, you know, relieving her from the, hopefully from the cruelty of Joff. But on the other hand, she can't help but reflect on her own treatment from these same small folk and wondering why it couldn't have been that way for her. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this is purely timing. I mean, it, it's nothing to do with the personality or the family name of Sansa and Marjorie. Right. It's simply when they were there. I mean, Sansa was trotting through the starving city on her pretty horse, you know. Right. Yes. Marjorie is coming when the battle's been won and food is flowing back into the city. You know, they're much more going to be receptive to the high and mighty when that's happening. So I, I think... It, if, again, if if Sansa were I, she would um, sort of reassure herself. It's nothing personal. Oh yes, right, right, right. Yeah, you're right. It again, it comes down to positive public relations, bringing in all that food, which uh, you know, in the name of Marjorie Tyrell, nonetheless. And um, yeah, right. Sansa was here during the worst of times, and her father was dubbed a traitor and executed while she's been in the city. So. Yeah, you know. yeah. Although, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned Ned at that point because obviously, when the mob attacked Sansa and the royal party, it was just a mob, not really thinking about it. But I wonder if um, McKelly's PR firm in King's Landing, <laughs> if it were to do some market research, give these people a plate of food and ask them some questions, that they might actually have some sympathy for Sansa because at that moment, at the moment when the when the riot happened. They were starving, and Ned's death was quite recent at that time. And I wonder if they're pointing the finger at the Lannisters and feel some sympathy for Sansa, saying things were better when we had Ned in charge. Now that King Joffrey's in charge, things are going to hell in a handbasket. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. That is, yeah. yeah. I do think, actually, your PR campaign for PR is really our second... um, Westerosi uh, business <laughs> yes, opportunity. It is. <laughs> we have to diversify, you know? Exactly. There's only so much brown clothes you can sell. <laughs> Haberdashery and PR consultancy. <laughs> well, we see Santa wise up from the time she arrived at King's Landing to now because she's wondering what angle Marjorie is playing with this dinner invitation, which is probably not something she would have thought of when she first arrived at King's Landing. And, you know, she even has the thought, one thing she's learned about King's Landing in the court of Joffrey Baratheon is mistrust. That's not a direct quote, but it's something along those lines. Yeah, it's, I do wonder if, if this is really wisdom or if it's simply she's now always afraid. And so just everything makes her afraid. Now. Yes. I mean, she's certainly right in saying the thing she's learned is mistrust. But, but you do notice by the end of this chapter... Just because Lady Olenna and Marjorie are nice to her, she spills the beans. True. You know? yeah. so, so that that wisdom isn't sort of ingrained yet. If she can get over the sort of fear, then she's back to being a blabbermouth, you know. And <laughs> It's a good – that's actually – yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, she does just um, out with it like she did when she outed Ned and his plan to get uh, Sansa and Arya out of town. Right. She wouldn't do that again. Right. She's learned that lesson. <laughs> But again, an outsider comes in and treats her with kindness and respect, and she's just clinging to it like a drowning person, you know? Yeah, and, um, you know, she went, 
one of the thoughts she had at this part in the chapter when she was wondering what this dinner was all about was, is this being set up by Joffrey? Am I about to be humiliated right. here? Uh, so that's quite a departure from right. that she, thought. She had, yeah, exactly. She had that fear going in, but then just decided it's not a trap. They're too nice. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> and of course, we see by the end of the chapter that there clearly was an agenda. The agenda was to get information about Joffrey and to put this wedding to Willis Tyrell plan in motion. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems that, so it's interesting that there's a skip generation here because obviously Marjorie's parents are missing. Um, Mace Tyrell is clearly on the outs for Olena. She doesn't trust him. She (laughs) thinks he's uh, an oaf. Um, And a puff fish. But his, yes, a puff fish, yes. But the, the wife, um, the mother of Marjorie is Allery. Is that right? Allery. Yeah, that's all. She's not involved in this, but she's present, but she's not involved in this conversation. So clearly they're sort of, these machinations are just the grandmother and grandchild. Yeah, or else she is a significantly better spy than the other three. And she's like, watch, this is how it's done. <laughs> I'm going to pretend I'm not paying any attention. <laughs> right. Um, one thing that's just that conversation just triggered with me is what is what is the end game here for Elena and Marjorie? Because I mean, they obviously they were going to get one of two answers from Sansa. One was he's a monster. The other one was, you know what, he's all right. He's not so bad. He's you know he's kind of misunderstood. Um, yeah. But what was their end game? Because because obviously, if it was the latter of those two things, they'd be delighted. They'd be like, oh, good, Marjorie's marrying him. Given that it was the former, that's the worst possible news. It's like this poor child is going to marry this monster, but they have no plan to change the plan. They're just going with it. So, I mean, is it just sort of forewarned is forearmed? I mean, right? They yes, they uh, may not realize how much of a monster he is. Yeah, you know they they handled that pretty well, didn't they? They they were like, well, that's disappointing, but no right. worries, it's going to go on anyway. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I. And then, you know, Elena, I I did have a discussion notes for this way later in the chapter, but we might as well get to it now while we're talking about it. You know, Elena says, oh, no worries. When Sansa says, please don't cancel the the wedding, he'll know, they'll know it was me, meaning the, the Lannisters will know it was her. And she says, oh, don't worry about it. Mace, Mace won't be persuaded out of this. This is going to happen. Right. And I thought, really? Like, you know, he's just going to push his daughter into this situation. I, we don't know Mace. We've not met him yet, but. Uh... Right. But, but, but uh, Genevieve made the point in the, in the chapter summary, his driving force is ambition and he wants a grandchild on the Iron Throne. Yes. And so he's willing to sacrifice Marjorie for that, you know, clearly. And also, you know, that, that is very true. Yes. But also, this is coming from what could be easily described as a spurned lover, you know. Um, right, but I, I, I mean, given how Sansa tries to not spill these beans. Oh, yes. When, uh, she, when she does, you would tend to believe the, 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 the later statements. I agree, and I think Olena and Marjorie do, but I don't think yeah. the powers that be, like Mace, would enough in a retelling of the story to cause him to change plans. 
Absolutely, absolutely. But then, but then it does beg the question: What were they hoping for? What were they hoping to get from this? Right. I mean, it just feels like if I were Marjorie now, I'd be going to sleep at night much the way Sansa Stark has been doing. Like, oh my god! Right. Yes. She she weathers this like a champ. She's like, yeah, eh, okay. Well, <laughs> anyway. So, so Sansa. Uh, thinks about her last meeting with the Hound and how r- rumors now going around King's Landing that he turned Craven. Um, she knows. I mean, what does Craven mean? Afraid and running away? Yeah, he did. But she actually knows what the source of it is—the burned face and the fear of fire and the fact that the whole battlefield was on fire. So she's she's at least a little bit understanding of his actions. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I will say though that. That's a tough limitation for a warrior of this era because fire is yeah. pretty common uh, in battles at the time. So, yeah. you know, he's not all that I'm useful gr- in a battle. I'm the greatest soldier in the land, but I am deathly afraid of horses. <laughs> <laughs> I ride on an ostrich into battle. <laughs> she actually wishes that the hound were here. That's a thought that goes through her head. I wish the hound were here. And she's... She's been second guessing not taking him up on the offer of going with him when he fled well, the I mean, city. For me, that second guessing would have started the next morning when Sedontus, the fool, came in and <laughs> celebrated the fact she was still a Lannister captain. Yes, that's true. That's true. Uh, she does keep his, she's kept his white cloak, um, the hound's, oh, not Dantas's. Right. She's kept the hound's white cloak. And, uh, Again, you know, it just goes to that complex relationship between them. At times, he has been her top protector in King's Landing. But at this, uh, on the other hand, he's said awful things to her. Back when they met on that uh, that rooftop, that uh, at the tower rooftop, and uh, he was so he was watching the fires out in the distance, and he was he he said some terrible things to her about Ned lying about not liking killing and about Ned's body doing a dance after his head was severed and he puts his sword to Sansa's neck and mentions that he enjoys killing women and children and you know so it's very complicated their relationship oh yeah 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 so on the walk to dinner she um she walks with Solaris and of course she is like heart in mouth walking with Solaris and I actually think I actually think George Martin does a really good job of sort of like her internal thoughts as she tries to come up with topics of conversation to engage Solaris. Oh my, and yes, she men- yes. Yeah, I mean, I I am like a 12-year-old girl when I'm in a conversation with people. I'm often doing that same thing, especially people I like and admire, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. So he unfortunately has no memory of giving her the red rose at the tourney of the, ha- uh, the hands tourney, which is such... I mean, that is a Valyrian steel dagger for Sansa, because for her, it was kind of like the defining moment of her life to get that red rose from Solaris. But yep. it, a, a lot of things have passed under the bridge since then, so his memory of that might be uh, somewhat hazy. But at the same time, it does sort of suggest that he was going through the motions. I mean, you give the red rose to the lady you find most attractive, uh if you don't find ladies attractive, <laughs> it's perhaps less meaningful to you. Right. So. Yes. Yes. All that I, I completely, completely agree with. Yeah. It's kind of, it would be kind of like in today's more modern world, being escorted somewhere by your like number one celebrity crush, 
you know, (laughs) (laughs) and trying to focus on having conversation with said person. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you could certainly understand why, even if he did find her the most beautiful woman in the world, a lot's happened to him. You know, he might not recall, oh, that from way back then. Yeah. Well, since that time, I've killed the man that I unhorsed. Wow, uh, before I gave you that rose. And, you know, Sansa mentions that he killed another member of Renly's uh, Rainbow Guard, which was Emin um, Kai, or C-U-Y-K-Kai. So, you know, Loris isn't that so much that sweet summer night any longer. He's He's been in battle. He led the vanguard of his father's host in battle. He killed men, and... He Sansa notices there's a difference between him now and between him then. She thinks he's taller, but it, it could be that he's he's also more mature, more world weary. Okay, can I just jump in here? Right. So Loras is seventeen. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. The time gap is only a few months between these things. Yes, a lot of things have happened. I am in my fifties, and I have. I don't know if anybody knows this, but I don't have the best memory. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It might have come up a time or two. You probably don't oh, recall. Well, <laughs> yeah. So um, I remember every beautiful woman I've ever talked to. We'll be right back. Hello, friends. Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. Ah, yes, yes, I, I, I'm guilty of the same, probably. Yeah. So, so Loras, I don't care what he's done. He's done more eventful things than I've done in my life in those few months. But it's only been a few months. And if he liked the ladies, then he would remember giving the Red Rose to Sansa Stark. Yes, you make a solid argument there. Yes, that's true. Now, I, I just remind everyone that he killed Robar and Amon not in battle. He killed them when it was discovered, when when he got to Renly's body. And those were two of the men that were guarding Renly. When it happened, he killed them out of a fit of rage, basically. And you remember Robar, he let Kat and Brienne go because he believed Kat's shadow assassin story. Emin did try to fight Brienne and got uh, knocked in the head by Cat with a pot uh, or something like that. So, but that, but that's interesting. That that's a, that, I was thrown there a little bit because of the contrast with the TV show. That was at Storm's End, right? In the book, it was Storm's End, but it was I think it was Bitterbridge in the TV show. Although I don't think Bitterbridge was ever mentioned, but I think that they hadn't got to Storm's End at that when all that happened. No, no, it must have done because they met Stannis. I mean, all oh, that right. happened because they yeah. parlayed with Stannis. Hmm. Maybe I'm just confused. 
Anyway, so they see Loris's brother, so Garland Tyrell, fighting three men. So um, that's... Uh, i got to say, it's not a bad idea. I mean, Loris mentions that when you're in battle, it's rarely just one. It's really mano a mano. You've got to have eyes in the back of your head, you know. Right. It's yes. a battle. <laughs> so yes. <laughs> I, I understand the, uh, I understand the, the practicing with fighting three. got to say, you'd imagine you get a, quite a few bruises during that practice because it can't be easy. Oh, oh yes, that's quite the feat. Unless you're like General Grievous with the swords, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. you know, it makes you wonder, why is it... So Loris freely admits to Sansa that his brother, Sir Garland, is better with the sword than than uh, Loris is, and Loris is, the, is better with the lance. Now, I do think that jousting is like the number one thing you're most famous for in tournaments but you know we just there garland doesn't seem to have the reputation that loris has yeah yeah and and it does feel like he could enter melees if this is how he practices he'd be quite good in the melee but you're right it does feel like the one who wins the jousting is get you know has a higher reputation than one who wins the melee right but we've seen Two melees. We've saw we saw the one at Bitterbridge with that ended with Sir Loris and Brienne being the yeah. final two combatants. There was yeah. either Garland didn't participate or he got knocked out earlier. And he didn't win the melee at the hands tourney. Thoris Amir did. Maybe he wasn't there. I don't recall whether Garland was there or not. Yeah, but I don't think he was ever mentioned. Yeah. So maybe he maybe just doesn't like to uh participate yeah. in tourneys. I don't know. Yeah. So Genevieve, we, we we did the only thing we edited from Genevieve's summary was the list of all of the um, ladies who were in attendance. Um, that they, they don't have an, a very active role in the, the book. I mean, basically, the the three of them, uh, you know, move aside and have this conversation without them. But they are um, so. Marjorie's mother, Lady Allery, is Lord Tyrell's wife. Uh, she's the daughter of Lord Leighton Hightower. Um, she's the third old, oldest child, second daughter. She's she's the older sister of Lyness Hightower, who is the lady who uh, took Sir Jorah Mormont to perdition. Right. Yes. Exactly. Sir Jorah's uh, former wife, um, I guess. Listeners, McKelly is laughing because there was a lot of editing over Simon remembering things. Uh, I'm hoping, anyway. I'm hoping he doesn't keep it all in. You know? <laughs> it's <was> quite funny. <laughs> uh, then we have. Some cousins of Marjorie's, Mega, Alla, and Eleanor, and they're all daughters of um, Tyrell men, cousins of Mace. So I guess they're maybe second cousins. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lady Jana, who is Lord Tyrell's sister, and therefore presumably Lady Olena's daughter. Right, right. Yep. And then Lady Leonette, who is a, a Fossaway. She she's married to Sir Garland. The night we were just talking about. A green apple fuss away, right? Yes, exactly. Yes, good memory. Look at me. Um, Septa Nisterica, who's got a great name. Yes. And uh, and then we have, uh, who's referred to as Lady Graceford, and she's pregnant, but I believe her first name is Alice Graceford. Yeah. And then Lady Alisan Bulwer, who's eight years old. Um, she Her connection is that her mother is Victoria, Victoria. Tyrell, uh, who married a bull. Then we have uh, Meredith, or as Sansa's supposed to call her, Mary 
crane and I'm not sure exactly what her connection is other than that the cranes are bannermen to the Tyrells well, I mean, uh, but... the, the, the large families have ladies in waiting and sort of regular, you know, hangers on. Wouldn't yes, that surprising. It's very possibly. There could be a little more than meets the eye here because Parman Crane, Parman the Purple from Renly's Rainbow Guard, uh, okay. defected to Stannis after Renly's death. And then he was sent to Bitterbridge as part of a party to collect the rest of Renly's army, which I think was a Davos II detail. Now, I don't think this is a spoiler, but in the Storm of Sword appendix, so this is freely available in the Storm of Swords appendix, um, Parman was arrested by Loras. Cooler heads prevailed. He was not killed like the other two members of the Rainbow Guard and is currently imprisoned in Highgarden. Huh? So maybe Mary is in Marjorie's entourage to keep the Cranes loyal going forward, oh. a la the Red Wine Twins and... King's Landing, or like you said, maybe she had this has nothing to do with anything, and she's just a member of uh, her entourage, a friend of Marjorie's. Yeah, uh, Lady Tana Merriweather of Mia. She's married to Orton Merriweather, and then of course the matriarch of the family, the Queen of Thorns, Lady Olena, widow to the late Luther Tyrell, Lord of Highgarden. She was a red wine before she married Luther. Uh, and she's the aunt of Paxter Redwine. Okay, good to know. Um, so yeah, as we said, Lady Elena is just an awesome character. She's no nonsense. She's too old to care who she offends. And it, it's interesting you wrote in the notes here, she gets what she wants, but it, I'm not sure she does because I think her her son's driving force is ambition. He uh-huh. wants a grandchild on the Iron Throne. Her driving force here seems to be concerned for her granddaughter. And and that's she, not, not she's not going to get what she wants. Right? Yes. She she's got not the even cheese she wanted. <laughs> yes, you're <laughs> you're absolutely right. In some ways, is it? I guess she could be the matriarch, but still be overruled by her son. But you know, usually the patriarch or the matriarch is the one who runs the family. And in this case, she seems to have a lot of good ideas, or what she thinks are good ideas, that get overruled by her oaf son. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually I think it's more common when you've got a situation like that. I mean I mean Cersei and Joffrey is another example where you've got a widowed queen with you know or, or lady with a son who's taken over, is that she has a lot of authority, but it can get trumped, you know, it can be overruled by Right. And I th- yes. I think I think that probably is going to happen to Cersei more and more, you know. For instance, Ned Stark beheading. Yeah, and speaking of Ned, we we have a similar situation with Cat and King Rob. Right, right. Although <laughs> there, the matriarch got what she wanted in some ways. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It, so Elena sets some what appears to be early groundwork for trust with Sansa. She she brings up her grandfather's. She mentions she knew Lord Hoster. I mean. She knew Lord Rickard before he died, and she knows uh, Hoster Tully, and she expresses sympathies for all of her losses. You know, maybe just letting Sansa know, "Hey, I'm a, I'm a, a person who's sympathizing with you. You can trust me." Yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, you know, one thing I know this is going to come up later on in our discussion, but it strikes me as odd that they left the carrot of. 
would you like to marry one of our sons and become the Lady of Highgarden, to the end of this conversation. Yeah. It feels like that might have been the way to Sansa's good graces. You know, yeah, sure, mentioning the grandparents, you know, the gra- knowing knowing her grandfathers is one thing and having respect for them. That's one thing. But if you say, we have a way for you to get out of this mess, and it would lead to you being the lady of one of the biggest houses in the land right. and having a very comfortable and enjoyable life. Right. Oh, and could you tell us what Joffrey's like? Now Maybe that it's just settled too much. that matter. <laughs> right. Maybe it's just too much. Maybe they thought if we do that, it's going to look like we are laying it on too thick. Maybe right. We have to ask Bribing her, her or something. You know? Right. Yeah. That's yeah. true. But um, by contrast, Lady Lennon does not think very much of Renly. You know, she just she says that he knew how to dress, smile, and bathe, um, but she says that his claim to the throne was nothing short of treason. And yeah. <laughs> that's that's pretty bold words. And yeah. and she's right, of course. I mean, there's no question about that. Renly was the one claimant to the throne who had no actual right to it. Right. Yes, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, that, that whole he knew how to dress, smile and bathe and somehow got the notion it made him fit to be king. That fits with the things we'd heard from Donald Noy and Maester Cress. And Donald Noy said something to John like Renly was copper. Pretty to look at, but not worth much right, in the yeah, end. Yeah, and yeah. Crescent, uh, th- thinking to himself about like a little boy with black hair uh, who was still playing games. Look at me, I'm king. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. you know, that fits. He, he wanted to be king, but he didn't have any claim to it. And he didn't necessarily know how to be king or build yeah. up the things that king, good kings are made from. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Audible. To get a free audiobook or two if you're an Amazon Prime member, go to our exclusive URL, audibletrial.com slash ghostsherrenhall. You can find the link in our show notes. So on on the treason thing, I mean... Elena says she wanted the Tyrells to have nothing to do with that situation, and she was overruled by her oaf son, Mace. Um, <laughs> and clearly, they've tipped the balance of power in this. I mean, the, the, the Battle of the Blackwater would have gone to Stannis were it not for the arrival of Tywin's army supplemented by the Tyrells. Right. Without that, I think, well, it certainly would have been a closer run thing. Yes, absolutely. You know, we don't know exactly what the breakdown, but we do know that the Reach and what was left of Renly's army was fairly sizable uh, as far as uh, the population of the army. And we also know that because of this Renly's ghost character, a lot of Renly's men who went to Stannis' side came back, which increased the size of their army. So, um, yeah, you know, she says, uh, once my oaf son put the, crown on Renly's head we were in the pudding up to our eyeballs or something like that I do wonder though when Renly died they could have just washed their hands of it and say yep we're out you guys finish it yourselves the problem there is that that, so you go back to Highgarden and you sit there and you farm your land and you count your money and you enjoy the sunshine when the battle is over whoever sits on the Iron Throne is going to be like now 
Where were the Tyrells again? Oh, that's right. They want, they supported Renly's claim. That is a good point. They did take a side. And the, <laughs> the, whoever side wins. That. Now, if the, the Lannisters won, they might be more willing to forgive. I don't know mm, that true. Stannis would be quite as forgiving, especially since his wife is a Florent, which we'll talk about in a bit uh, what yeah. that means. Yeah. Um, but anyway... Olena points out how Joffrey calls himself a Baratheon, but he looks so Lannister, which goes to she's obviously read Stannis's letter and uh-huh. has some um, put some faith in it. Well, of course, I mean to a certain extent, when she when they when the Tyrells agreed to Renly's claim, they were accepting the truth of that letter. Now they flip flopped, but yes. The, the thought must always be in the Lannisters' minds that these people, anyone who sided with any Baratheon must have had some belief that the letters were true. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that makes sense. That adds yeah. up. Anyone who was wet Renly and who came to Stannis could say, we just didn't think you were going to cut it as king, Stannis. You know, it's fine. We're sorry, you know. And Stannis could turn a blind eye to that. But anyone who sided with either of the Baratheon boys believes or be- had believed that Joffrey Baratheon was not Robert Baratheon's son and was in fact Jamie Lannister's son and that yes it's hard to come back from that is that is solid solid point but you wonder putting all pulling all these pieces together would she lady olena have supported stannis's claim to the throne above the others because she says joffrey looks so lannister possibly meaning we believe this story that he is not baratheon and and also says it was treason for Renly to claim the throne because he has an older brother, which makes yep. you believe she might have backed Stannis had it not been yep. for Mace over. Oh, of course, she says she would have backed nobody, but right, if she had right. to back someone, it sounds like she might have backed Stannis. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely sounds that way. But then, of course, the, the, the interesting point came when Renly did die. They, they, they needed, like we just said, they couldn't just retreat to Highgarden because they were in it up to their eyeballs at this point. But they didn't go to Stannis, and I think if Helena had been in charge, they would have gone to Stannis there. They probably would have been with Stannis to begin with. But um, Mace obviously went a different direction, and I wonder if that's purely out of fear of Stannis, because oh. Stannis had this reputation for being so unforgiving, and so to have sided against him and then to side with him might—you might think. This is never going to work because of Stannis's reputation for. Yeah, that could be. It, he did. He did pardon a surprising amount of people. At least he did. He <laughs> did, but but that was contrary to expectation. Right? Yes, I mean, right. so, by which point the Tyrells had made their uh, this determination that they were going to switch sides completely. Yes, solid point. Uh, so, I, as I just mentioned, um, I mentioned that. Stannis's wife, Selyse, is a Florent, and that could have been problematic for the Tyrells. And actually, uh, Elena references a little bit. She mentions that even the Tyrells' claim to Highgarden is a bit spotty. And um, we've mentioned in the past that the Florents were once much higher nobility than the Tyrells. And uh, they, the Florents, backed King Marin IV Gardner against Aegon the Conqueror. But after the Field of Fire, where Aegon and his sister wives just 
laid waste to everybody on their dragons, the Tyrells were upjumped to Lord Paramounts of the Reach and given Highgarden, flipping over top of the Florence. So we had conjectured previously in Stannis chapters that maybe the Tyrells didn't back Stannis because there's too much Florent influence in Stannis's uh, party. But but the thing is, of course, you're 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 really going all in because if you if you side with Stannis and he wins the Iron Throne, then it'd be hard for him to then take High Garden from you. True. Yeah. If you side yes. against him and he wins the Iron Throne, then it's going to be very easy for him to reinstate <laughs> the Florence as uh, Lord Paramounts of the Reach. You get a very solid point. Yes, I see where you're coming from there. Yeah. But uh, Elena also mentions that the realm is better off if all the kings put their swords down and listen to their mothers. I think that's a universal truth. <laughs> well, we know one king's been listening to his mother, Rob's, King Rob Stark, first of his name. Uh, uh, but, you know, and until recently, he's been winning. So it's been working. But, yeah. you know, now things have gotten a bit wobbly because he didn't listen to his mother and he sent Theon to Pike which went very much against what Cat advised him to do. And it didn't yeah. work out. So the moral of that story is always listen to Simon and your mother. <laughs> <laughs> so they, the, the, the Tyrell ladies tell Sansa that they'd heard some troubling tales about Joffrey. And of course, Sansa hesitates at this point. Um, uh, but they've convinced her. They've, they've, they've won her over with their kindness and their lemon cakes and she, uh, she <laughs> goes for it um sansa mentions her i think olena says that if she tells the truth no harm will come and she says well my father told the truth and he got beheaded for it you know right so that that's a reasonable riposte yeah yeah and um you know olena she's she responds that Ned did have that reputation for always telling the truth, but yet they named him a traitor and beheaded him. So once again, she she's kind of uh, coming to Sansa's side and saying, you know, feeling sympathy for her, which probably helps Sansa make this decision to, okay, yeah. I'm just going to spill the beans here. And yeah. it probably felt good, I'm sure, finally getting a chance to... Uh, to say these things that she's been thinking for so long and having to keep under lock and key, that had to, I'm sure, I'm sure it was terrifying on one hand, but on the other yeah. hand, felt probably quite good. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, she tells them of Joffrey offering the mercy to Ned and then beheading him and taking her to see the head on the spike for that extra thing, uh, having Lady killed, which they probably didn't even understand what she was talking about, but yeah, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> she was she was outpouring at this point. So, but the Kingsguard beatings, that's, that's one that would resonate because yes. none of the other things would feel like they really apply. I don't have a dire wolf, probably not going to behead my father, but the Kingsguard's doing the beatings on his behalf. That's troubling for someone about to marry into the family. Absolutely. And then the, the, the really... The big stretch. I mean, all of this is just cathartic outpouring. From, but she says, and Cersei's just as bad. And that's <laughs> the one. We, we didn't actually ask about her, but thanks <laughs> for that little tidbit. <clears throat> yeah, I, I will say it certainly felt good as a reader 
to yeah, finally yeah. see Joff and Cersei be outed to important, powerful allies here. <laughs> It'd be funny if in the TV show if, uh, if she starts and then it sort of like cuts away and then comes back and she's still going, you know, with the list of crimes. <laughs> right. <laughs> be like SpongeBob, like two hours later. <laughs> later. <laughs> So, of course, all of this is terrible news for Sansa if this gets out. But, I mean, again, I always think that Sansa worries too much about what people think. I mean, when she tells... when She's repeatedly told the Hound that she loves Joffrey. And she, you know, and it's like, he knows. Right. It doesn't make any difference. <laughs> you might as well just tell him, you know. And yeah. uh, same here. I mean, yeah, they, it's, the Lannisters will be annoyed she said it, but it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I hope so. Uh, I'm sure she would face some sort of repercussion, though. I would think. right, just because they like repercussions against. Yes, her, yes. You ate lemon cakes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Elena starts it by saying something like, "We've heard rumors of Joffrey," and uh, you know, Littlefinger was the Lannister rep. In the negotiations with the Tyrell. So was it him that spo- that spilled the beans on Joffrey and his behavior? I, I love this idea. I love this idea. Now, I will say, on the one hand, I think it's you're, you're really reaching. Because how could they not hear rumors of Joffrey being a monster? You know, well, mean, yeah. everybody <laughs> knows. I mean, like, their servants would have interacted with Lannister servants. And somebody there is going to have said... Stay away from him. He's horrible. Yes, that's very possible. But on the other hand, I love this thought that Baelish is out there planting more seeds of dissent within uh-huh. the big houses. It's yeah. Uh, we it's certainly saw thought. him pit Lannister and Stark against one another. Right. With the uh, dagger, the cat's yeah. paw dagger. Is he and, doing the same thing think, here? If, right. And if you think about it, you could argue that from his perspective, that has worked out perfectly. Oh yes. He was on the small council. He was already fairly big, but now he's Lord of Harrenhal. Now, could he let the kingdom calm down and get back to sort of an equilibrium? Sure, he could. But you know what? The last time he created chaos, he elevated himself a huge leap. Who knows what he could do with the next round of chaos? So let's start planting those seeds too. Yeah, I mean, I love this idea. I will say, though, it is very much conjecture. We talk about Littlefinger as if he is... You know the world's biggest planter of uh, dissension seeds, but we don't know. He's almost never on screen. I mean, he's almost you know he's not a POV character, yep. and so a lot of it is just inference from the things that happen, like this. But again, there is a more benign explanation, which is they just heard it. Yeah, that uh, that's very true. That is the the benign option. There is their uh, great house in the realm, and they've. Uh... They've gotten the news that right. Joffrey's uh, yeah. problematic, to put it and, mildly. And also, I mean, the child of incest, you know. The, the, I mean, I'm sure even in those days it was known that those could be, you know. I mean, I, someone at least has said that the, uh, the gods flip a coin when a Targaryen was born. And right. that's because of the incest. It wasn't because of the name, you know. And if Joffrey is believed to be a child of incest then the gods tossed a coin yep yep so w- once they get that unpleasantness out of the way and and handle it surprisingly well just oh well that's disappointing uh then then they start the second half of the plot which is the 
marriage between Loris, um, not Loris, that's what Sansa thinks it's going to be Loris, between Willis and uh, Sansa. And Marjorie starts it by painting this utopian picture of Highgarden that, as Sansa thinks in her head, it basically mirrors what she always dreamed King's Landing might be, what she had hoped that King's Landing might be, which couldn't have been further from the truth. And, you know, this feels a bit like a sales pitch to get her on board. She, yeah. she, you know, it wasn't that long ago that Marjorie was a 12-year-old girl and probably knows the things that 12-year-old high-born girls, not including Arya, might think about <laughs> and just put it all out there, all the things. Yeah, but 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 it doesn't seem that contradictory to what we've heard about Highgarden. It feels like it True. is a, you know, a pleasant climate. Uh, beautiful scenery, you know, nice place to live. So, right. Uh, I don't think I, I, I think she's polishing the apple, but I don't think she's lying. Right. I agree. I agree. It would be a quite a departure from her desire to get back home to Winterfell, but um, I, I don't know that we've actually seen or heard her thoughts that she knows Winterfell has fallen. Right. And, uh, right. So but, we know but that she it do, has. She knows with the war that it's not going to be easy. And sort of like, you know, she's getting to an age where a girl would get married, you know, a highborn girl would get married. And to land here, Highgarden, as Lady of Highgarden, would be, you know, a huge coup. Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. If if none of all this had happened and the Tyrells wrote to the Starks and said, hey, do you want to marry your eldest daughter to, my, to our eldest son? she probably would have been shipped off that day, you know? Yes. And that's what Ned told her when he said, I'm sending you home before uh, she went and told Cersei what was happening is he said, I'll find you a better match. Yeah. And this might've been one of the matches that he would have been looking for is me. And now he is a little bit older than her, which I'll, I'll get to in a second, but, um, but could she be falling for the shiny object trap again? You know, it happened the first time she was young and naive and fell in love with Joffrey before she finally got to know him because he was shiny and beautiful. Yeah, but they gave her the blunt truth about Willis, you know, that he is, uh, he's disabled. He has a, uh, he fell from a horse, is it? Or a horse fell on him? I, I think a horse fell on him as a squire. Right. And, uh, and somehow so, you know, Oberyn Martell is involved. Right. That's All we get is just that Oberyn Martell is involved, which does bring up a, a possible uh, new point of contention because Tyrion offered a spot on the small council to a Martell. So we, we they assume it's going to be Doran Martell who arrives. But, uh, you know, either way, that could uh, there might be bad blood between the Tyrells and the Martells over yeah. this situation. Yeah. So, I mean, we don't know Willis. We don't know what he's like. I mean, it could be that... The injury has made him bookish and thoughtful and kind-hearted, right? Or it might have made him mean and angry. Yeah, um, sure. Certainly, it'd be a risk. But I mean, there's a lot of compensating factors to this. So I mean, I think uh, if I was Sansa, I would definitely gravitate towards this plan, regardless of the injury. Yes, right. So there's. There's three plans we've now heard of to extricate Sansa from this situation. It's the the, <laughs> the Dantas Hollard plan, 
<laughs> the Hound offer, and now the Mary Willis Tyrell. Now, I will say, uh, they kind of gloss over this fact that he, the Willis is a bit old for you part. Now, we believe, I think Sansa's around 12. I mean, she could have had a birthday, but I believe she is 12. Um, Willis is somewhere between age 23 and 26, based according okay. to a, a Wiki of Ice and Fire. So, okay. like, twice her age. She's not great right. for a 12-year-old and a 23-year-old or 26, no. but um, he's not, it's not like, um, like Liza and... Liza Aaron, yeah. And John Aaron, yes. Yeah. So, uh, um... One. Anyways, yeah. So there's the three. There's those. There's those three options, and of the three, this one seems like it's put together by the most um, reputable, capable, competent uh, of the options. Yeah, and it ends with her being the Lady of Highgarden, which is right. not something to shake a stick at. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I do wonder about the strategic aspect of it, though, because it is interesting, because obviously the the Lannisters are very much at uh, war with the Starks right now. And for the Tyrells to invite a Stark into their home, is that a poke in the eye to the Lannisters? Is it to try to sort of strong arm the Lannisters into making peace with the Starks? Right. Um, Yes. You know, it even made me wonder... Could it have been, could this have been the letter? You remember when Tyrion came and visited Tywin, he mentioned he was writing important letters and he said some battle, some wars are won with uh, sword and shield and some are won with pen and raven or whatever, pen and paper or something like that. Could uh-huh. could they have been working on this as a means? You marry Sansa to Willis Tyrell and then you tell Rob. You know, where the Sansa, your sister is now married into the Tyrell family. The Tyrell family is now married into the Lannister family. Let's let's put all the this fighting yeah. aside. I, the thing is, though, that doesn't feel very Lannister. I mean, there's no, the, it doesn't. The, there's the tale <laughs> of the reigns of Castamere, who crossed the Lannisters at some point. I don't know if this is a spoiler, if this comes up later, but it, it happened bit. in the past. Yeah. It yes. happened in the past, so I think we can talk about it. They were destroyed root and branch. I mean, they, they were obliterated off the face of the earth. It feels like, I don't even remember what the Reigns did, but the Starks have done more. And for them to bury the hatchet this way would be sort of a contrary to the Lannisters. So I wonder if it's the Tyrells trying to say, hey, the Starks are a noble house. They need to be preserved. They can't be ended by this. Maybe we ask them to bend the knee, but one way to make the, the Starks seem indispensable is to make their daughter the Lady of Highgarden because then if you destroy the Starks, you'd have to turn on the Tyrells to destroy this Stark, you know? Yes, that's a good point. Yeah, because, it, you know, it's a it's a logical question because what do the Tyrells get out of this marriage Otherwise, why are they going through it? Are they just feeling pity on Sansa or like, you know, altruistic? Oh, I know we can help her by marrying her off to Willis. Or is there is there more to be gained from this? Yeah. I, I mean, it does remove this, you know, it does remove from King's Landing this former betrothal of the king. Right. So just, to, you know, maybe sort of like 
turn a new page. So that's one thing. I think the other thing is what we were talking about with the the Florence uh, claim to High Garden. This is a bid for continuity in the realm. The Starks uh-huh, have uh-huh. the North. The Tyrells have High Garden. The Lannisters, the the sorry, the Baratheons have the <laughs> the Iron Throne. <laughs> that works for the Tyrells because turmoil in the realm puts that question of hey maybe the florence could get high garden back back in back on the table you know sort of Good so point. yeah maintaining the big houses in their ancestral homes feels like something they would care about yep that makes sense background do you have some background for us <laughs> you know what you know how a lot of times i say it was really tough to find background in a chapter there's like six chapters worth here uh, yes uh, there is enough, honestly, there's enough to do an entire background episode out of the things that came out of Elena Tyrell's mouth and the thoughts of Sansa. But so, but because background gets tougher the further we get into the story, I, I kind of had to be choosy. So my original plan was to do a background on the Maiden Vault, which is where this scene is held. It's where the Tyrells are staying. But there's time for that later. So instead, I'm focusing on something that Elena mentioned about her past she mentioned that they tried to marry me to a targaryen once but i soon put an end to that which is quite an interesting statement to make i thought so what's the deal with that right well i'm gonna tell you so elena and prince darren targaryen the third son of aegon the fifth because there's like a million darren targaryens uh, they were betrothed there's a few eggs too (laughs) uh, when they were both nine years old in 237 AC, which, if my rough math makes her around uh, 71, I believe. Um, she, Elena claims that she soon put an end to the betrothal. But according to the records at the Citadel, it was Darren who broke it off. And it wasn't too soon either. She said, I, put an end to, I soon put an end to that. The couple was 18 years old when Darren followed the lead of his older siblings who had also broken off arranged marriages. So that was nine years of betrothal, not exactly soon in my book anyway. However, whereas Darren's siblings ended their marriage packs to marry for love, Darren did not. Instead, he preferred spending his time with his friend Sir Jeremy Norridge, whom he met as a squire at Highgarden. Now, Darren and Jeremy died side by side when Darren led an army to squash a rebellion led by three men known as the Rat, the Hawk, and the Pig. Aside from inciting a rebellion, the men were also known to have attacked Elora Targaryen at a ball, leading to her taking her life not too long afterward. Now, just a a few quick hitters, because there were other things that we've talked about in the past um, that I couldn't do a full background on. But before I get to those, she also referenced Baratheons having, in her words, queer notions. And I believe she's referring to another Baratheon rebellion against a Targaryen king on the Iron Throne, aside from Robert's Rebellion. We'll surely get to that story, but uh, we must pace ourselves. <laughs> so some of the other things she mentioned, she mentioned Arian Brightflame basically as a comely monster. And um, he is the older brother of Egg, King Aegon V. So uncled here to, to Daria Targaryen. Um, he, we've talked about this. He died drinking a cup of wildfire, believing it would transform him into a dragon. He was also the one that had the misguided decision to name his son Magor, which is not a popular name in the Targaryen uh, 
record, book of record. We also meet two guards named Eric with an E and Eric with an A, and they're identical twins, and Elena can't tell them apart and calls them left and right. And if those names sound familiar, it's because we once did a background on two identical twin brothers of the same name with the last name Cargill. Now, those two were members of the Kingsguard during the reign of King Viserys I Targaryen, and they ended up on opposite sides of Dance of the the Dance of the Dragons, and they killed each other in a fight to the death. And then the last bit of um, background that I'll mention is Garth Greenhand gets a mention when uh, Sansa says the Tyrells can trace their line all the way back to Garth Greenhand. He is a, myth- a mythical high king from the Age of Heroes. Some think he was a contemporary of Bran the Builder. There's plenty to talk about with him, so we're not going to get into uh, the details, but that's who she's referring to. All right, future background, good. Comparison with the television show, uh, all of this is very much captured. Uh, rather than receiving an invite to brood over, which was what Sansa does at the start of this chapter, the precursor on the TV show is a scene with Shay, who you'll recall in the TV is acting as her handmaiden, in uh-huh. which Shay asks Sansa to be very wary of Littlefinger. There'd been a previous scene with Sansa talking to Little Littlefinger, and to report any advances that he makes to towards Sansa to Shay. Sansa is immediately suspicious. Like, why is my handmaiden quizzing me about this? Sort of thing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but. She asks, so she asks why, and Shay says, because I will make him stop. So, you know. Oh. Okay. Uh, Loras arrived. Sansa's heart skips a beat. Shay gives her a look which goes along the lines of, this girl has got a lot to learn. Like, you know, <laughs> Loras arrives, brain switches off. Um, they walk to meet the rest of the Tyrells. Uh, Sansa is not quite so tongue-tied in the TV show. Uh, Loras doesn't immediately recall the favour at the hands tourney, but upon prompting, he does seem to recall it. Uh, Sansa's definitely a bit more relaxed in the show. Um, the conversation with Olena, played by Diana Rigg, who is absolutely masterful in this role, absolutely. is just about verbatim. It's outdoors in the daytime, so that's one thing that's different. It's not dinner, it's sort of like a picnic in the daytime. Okay. Um, so because of that, there's no need for butter bumps. Um, they just send the prying ears away. and They're just very isolated, the three of them, so they can talk openly. The one omission is that there's no offer of a marriage for Sansa. This is all about Joffrey, this conversation. Oh. Uh, but but Elena's views of Mace Tyrell and, this ho- and Renly and all of this are very much laid out as they were in the, in the book. All right, good uh, stuff. I did read one interesting thing about Diana Rigg, actually, that she never watched the show. <laughs> she didn't watch her own work. No. But well, she, when you're she as successful it. as she is. You yeah, know. She, she loved it, apparently. She loved the, the the lines she got, and she thought her character was fantastic, and she just loved doing it, but she didn't bother watching the show. Huh. Fascinating. Yeah. Penetry Corner, do you have anything? I do not. Is that your thing in there, or is that a, hi- uh, a holdover? I think that's left over from last time, yeah. No pedantry here. It was just too good to have pedantry. That's right. News and notes. News and notes. First thing I wanted to mention is I was listening to last week's episode and I noticed that I referred to Axel Florent as Stannis's Hand of the King. I meant to say Castellan of Dragonstone. My mm-hmm. apologies for that. I can't catch them all, McKelly. <laughs> 
Um, another thing that um, I actually just read about this morning is the dagger. So there's a new House of the Dragon teaser out, and there's House of the Dragon news everywhere right now because we're getting very close to the launch mm-hmm. of the show. And there's a dagger that Alicent Hightower has in her hand in one of the scenes. And it is indeed the same cat's paw dagger used in Bran's murder attempt. We were initially told in an an interview that it's not, but that was a miscommunication because story-wise, it's the same dagger. It's just not the same same prop. prop. Right, I see, I see, yeah. So. George Martin cancelled an appearance at the San Diego Comic Con this week due to surging COVID-19 rates. Good. Thank you, George. Look after yourself. <laughs> we want you here for the long haul. Yes. And that's going on this week, I believe. Um, yeah, this weekend it's happening. So I by the time everyone Diego. hears this, it'll have been too late anyway. But I used to live in San Diego and it was always a big deal when Comic Con was on. Uh, I, that's, I'm sure it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, we've got our live video chat with our Royal Kingsguard members in our Lord's Paramount coming up on Saturday, July 30th, which if you're listening when this episode comes out, that's this weekend. So right. um, that'll be, I, did I say at noon, Eastern Daylight Time, the U.S. Canada now. time? Okay, good. And once again, thank you to Genevieve for the great summary. And if any other uh, members of the Lords Paramount or Royal King Guards want to join in the fun, reach out to us. Uh, or you can join the Lord Paramount tier and take advantage of the opportunity to get involved in the show. Yes, we very much appreciate that and we'd have a lot of fun. Let us draw a conclusion to this monster. Uh, Sansa is missing the hound and, hound and second-guessing whether she should have gone with him. But I think by the end of this chapter, she's probably relieved, actually. Yes. <laughs> marrying Willis Tyrell or going off into the wild with the Hound. <laughs> I'll marry Willis on this one. Yes. She probably is like, yeah, I made the right decision. I made the right <laughs> yeah. decision. Feeling pretty good about it now. <laughs> yeah, like I mentioned, she's got multiple options here. Um, this one seems like the most up and up. Um, the Dauntus option, you know... That's... You know, everybody gets drunk at a wedding, and Sedantus is way ahead of everybody already. So. <laughs> but now she's off to a new betrothal, so uh, yet again, no control over herself or who she's marrying. But, you know, uh, there's the downside, but there's also upsides. Yeah, yeah. On paper, Willis seems like a good guy. His family speak highly of him, but then... Joffrey's family spoke highly of him. At least some members of Joffrey's family spoke highly of him. If you found the right one, you would get the truth. <laughs> Probably, yes. <laughs> Tyrion might not so speak quite exactly. So Tyrion was the one to talk to. Or, or Renly. I know Renly wasn't actually a member of his family. Well, I suppose Renly was purportedly a member of his family. but Right, yes. Not a big fan of his uh, nephew. Yeah. But then, you know, it, it just begs the question, why are the Tyrells doing this? Yeah, um, yeah. Pity? Opportunity to marry into the Starks and the war, all things that we discussed. Yeah. Well, that is a great new character. It's refreshing to have someone who speaks their mind. You know, I guess when you're 71 in this era, you are past caring. Yes. It's a probably a freeing point to reach. Yeah. And, well, what, you know, certainly can't be overlooked in this chapter as Sansa totally lets loose on Joff, spilling all the beans. <laughs> Surely that had to feel good. Was it smart? Was it safe? That's more debatable. Yeah, and will Varys get wind of this? I mean, he has a remarkable way of 
of getting information, but but a bumps was singing loudly, so yes. maybe nobody well, heard this. Hopefully, unless Butterbumps was is the spy is the spy. <laughs> you do well to sing loudly and spy on someone at the same time. True, yeah. But hey, and, he he could pull live chickens out of his mouth. Who knows what he's capable <laughs> of? And like we've mentioned multiple times, they took the news of. Joffrey's character pretty well considering the impending wedding. Yeah. I I I mean I'm guessing that they already believed it and they were just looking for verification. You know, they weren't they weren't scared to hear it. They already believed it. They just wanted some someone who, with you know, an independent person to give them the true true and it was like, okay, that's what we feared. Yeah. Yeah. That very well could be the case. Yeah. But, you know, then I wondered, what's Brienne going to do when she gets to King's Landing and finds zero Stark girls? <laughs> Drag Jamie off after to Highgarden. You're coming with me. Okay. There are three ways that you can help us. You can leave us a positive review. Uh, we'd appreciate that. You can buy merchandise at ghostsofharrenhall.threadless.com. You can buy us an Arbor Gold at buymeacoffee.com slash ghostsharrenhall. Or become a sustainer at the Lord Paramount or Knight of the Realm level. Any of that would be greatly appreciated. Certainly would. And as always, you can reach us at ghost.heronhall@gmail.com. You can go out and follow us on Twitter at ghostheronhall. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and YouTube. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.